As we were singing this song, Behold the Wondrous Mystery, we are seeing, we've been seeing He humbled Himself. He humbled Himself to bring us and to give us help and to give us hope. That we have a God who is drawn near to us to provide forgiveness, to give us new life now. As we journey through this book of Mark, as we walk through uh, this, these opening chapters of Mark, we are going to learn more and more about who Jesus is and be reminded of what he's accomplished for us. Well, the 10 verses we're going to look at this morning begin in verse 13. And in these verses, my goal for us this morning is that these pictures that we see of Jesus, these six different snapshots that we see of Jesus, our purpose this morning is that these pictures will fuel in us a deep, abiding, and transformational appreciation for who Jesus is and what he has done for us. I want to grow our understanding, grow our appreciation, and grow our love for Jesus. Because I'm convinced if we know him, we will love him, and if we love him, we will live for him. And so the challenge and opportunity for us is to open up the word to learn about him. Well, let's look in Mark chapter 2, verse Mark chapter 2, verse 13. This is on page 837 in the Pew Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible or you think, I just like to come to church and listen, I would encourage you to grab a Pew Bible, open it up to page 813, and check out to be sure that what I'm saying does line up with what the Scripture says. Because God's Word is the authority and not the guy that stands up here. Right? So, page 837, Mark chapter 2, verse 13, begins by saying this. And he, this is Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And he passed by, he, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. As he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, he said, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and the people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests, feast, can, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The day will come, days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth and an old, on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But the new wine is for fresh wineskins. Well, as we begin in this passage, we see in verse 13 a very familiar setting. We see Jesus, it says he went out beside the sea. He's beside the Sea of Galilee already in this first chapter and a half of the book. We've seen him at the Sea of Galilee on a number of occasions. Um, he was called two disciples, John and his brother, John and James and Peter and Andrew, who are fishermen. He called them to follow him. 
uh, along the Sea of Galilee. We also see that there's a, they're by the sea and there's a crowd that was coming to him. We've seen crowds flocking to Jesus, not primarily because of his teaching, but more because of the miracles that he was performing, that people, he was healing all kinds of diseases, casting out demons, making people's lives whole again. But in the midst of this, he was teaching. And we've been told over and over in this, in this book so far that Jesus is teaching. This is the fifth time in these two chapters that we're told that Jesus was either preaching or teaching. And this is in fulfillment of what we see in this book. And because one of the first points I want us to see in our message this morning is that Jesus is a faithful teacher. He is a faithful teacher. He is sometimes, he's been teaching in the synagogues in formal settings. Um, In this setting that we see here and in others, it's an informal setting where he's walking. It's along the seashore that um, he is teaching the crowds uh, just on the the hillsides. And so we see him teaching informally and informally. He's teaching crowds. He's teaching his disciples. And as he's teaching, we see back in chapter 1, verse 38, look here with me, because we see this is one of the primary reasons Jesus came. He came to teach. In John chapter, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 1, verse 38, Mark 1, 38, it says this, And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also. And here's the key. For this is why I came out. He came out to teach. And as Jesus is teaching, he's teaching the gospel. Look back a little farther in in the book of Mark to chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, and we see this. It says, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. As we see Jesus being a faithful teacher, he is a faithful teacher who is teaching the gospel. Uh, This gospel of God, he's talking about the good news of what he is doing and what his work is going to accomplish. He is helping people to understand that he has come to give them help and to give them hope. He's telling them that the kingdom of God is near. And the kingdom of God is near because Jesus is the king and he's here. And so as he's preaching this message, then he calls people to repent and to believe, to turn from their sin and to trust him. And as he calls him to this, we see Jesus' big focus in this is to teach, 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 teach. And we would say, why so much teaching? Well, we see this so much teaching because in the book of Romans, turn there with me, keep your place here in Mark, and turn to the book of Romans chapter 10. We looked at this a week or two ago, the same idea, but again, the repetition of Jesus as a teacher. Why is he teaching so much? Why is a priority on teaching? Why isn't he doing more miracles? And why does he leave a place where there are all kinds of people who are sick and diseased and demon-possessed? All of those people are around. Why doesn't he just keep doing all those miracles? Why the emphasis on teaching? And so, in chapter 10, verse 17, it says this. It says, So faith comes from what? Hearing. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through what? The word of Christ. Now, it doesn't say this. It doesn't say, so faith comes from seeing and seeing through the miracles of Christ. You see, faith doesn't come through seeing. Because if I see something, do I have to have faith? Right. I mean, look, look, if 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 I say, okay, I'm going to take a step of faith 
and I'm going to take a step of faith over this part of the platform. Ready? Everybody's been impressed, right? That's an amazing step of faith, Pastor Steve. That was incredible. I can't believe you did that. You're like, I'm not impressed at all. Why? Because I can see the platform. You can see the platform. It takes no faith. It doesn't take anything because I can see. You see, God calls us as believers that we don't live by sight, that we live by faith. And faith is generated not by what we see, but by what we hear. It is the Word of God. And so why is Jesus teaching, teaching, teaching? Because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. And I get it. Sometimes we think that, you know, Jesus, it seems like it would just be easier for us to believe if you would just do a miracle for us today. I mean, if I'm driving home today and I see a miracle, it, it, might, it might cause me to believe you. But the reality is we read in Scripture that people saw all kinds of miracles and continue to harden their hearts against God. In fact, there are people that were calling on Jesus, and that, that there's a passage in that talks about this guy Lazarus, this rich man who's died, and this rich man who has died is saying, saying to Lazarus, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to tell my brothers about, about hell and how horrible it is. And, 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 and Abraham says to him, he says, listen, even if somebody raises from the dead, people won't believe. It says they have Moses and the prophets, which is the word of God. They have the word of God. If they won't believe the word of God, they won't believe even if they see somebody raised from the dead. And then a little later in Jesus' ministry, he raises somebody from the dead. And you know what many of the people's response to that was? They wanted to kill the guy that Jesus raised from the dead. Why? It's because they saw, but seeing didn't create believing. What creates belief, what creates faith is the Word of God. And it's the Word of God that creates faith in us that we need to hear God's Word and that we need to realize, God, I believe that you're true. I believe that your Word is, is, is accurate. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that I can trust you for the things you call me to trust you for. And as we think about the faith that God calls us to, God does not call us to a blind faith. God doesn't call us to a blind faith. God calls us to a reasoned faith. It is reasonable for us to believe that God created the world. We look at the order. We look at the size. We look at the detail at the smallest level in our creation and then the detail at the largest level. We see the design in our creation. We see the order in creation, the power of creation, that these things that we would see, that it's reasonable for us to believe that God exists. And yet, it still takes faith to believe that. It takes faith because we didn't see God create. Nobody did. And so we recognize that faith comes by hearing. And why is Jesus' emphasis on, on preaching? Because people need to hear. And in order for them to believe, they must hear the gospel. And the same is true today. That people must hear the gospel. Well, back to our passage in Mark. Mark chapter 13. So Jesus is by side to see. Crowds are coming to them. And he is teaching them. And in verse 14 it says, Mark 2:14, As he passed by, he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Well, Jesus is walking. There's a tax booth. 
and the tax booths were run by the Romans, that they would contract with people to collect taxes for a certain region, and they would tax the travel, they would tax food, they would tax uh, shipments of things, they would tax sales, kind of like our government. They tax everything they can. And as they're taxing everything they can, rather than um, sending money away, they would set up these tax booths, and they would hire people to collect taxes. And those tax collectors would earn their money, they would earn their living by skimming off the top. So if Rome says, we need to get this much money from this region, um, that's what your responsibility is. If he can raise more money in that, he gets to keep it. Right? So, and in this context, this guy Levi, he's a Jewish man. And he's a Jewish man working for the Romans, taking money from the Jewish people to give to the Romans. Now based on that, how do you think prob- people probably thought about Levi, the Jewish tax collector? They didn't like him. They didn't like him a bit. They didn't like tax collectors because they saw him as a traitor to Rome. They don't like to pay taxes, and they know that how he's gotten wealth and how he's gained his wealth. He's gained it off the backs of them. And so he's a, be a very un- he would be a very unpopular man amongst that community. And in many ways, he was, this tax collector would be some of the lowest of the low. Earlier in the book of Mark, we read about a leper, somebody with a skin disease, and they were considered unclean. They were considered unclean. They couldn't enter into the place of worship, and they had all this ritual stuff they had to do. As we consider tax collectors, they were also considered unclean. But in some ways, the tax collectors... Their uncleanliness in the eyes of the people was even worse than a leper because the leper didn't choose their uncleanliness. The tax collector did. And so this guy is low on the social totem pole. And yet as we see this, as Jesus passes by, he sees this man, and what does he say to him? He says, follow me. So we see this beautiful picture of Jesus understanding how this man is seen as an outcast, an outsider, a sellout. And what does Jesus do? Jesus calls him to himself. He says, follow me. And in this, we're seeing Jesus as a shepherd. In the book of John chapter 10, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus says to Levi, follow me. What did Levi do? He got up and he followed. And in this, we see that Jesus isn't simply a faithful teacher, but we also see him as a gracious shepherd. He is a gracious shepherd who calls the unacceptable. He calls the unacceptable. And as we think about these unacceptable people that he calls, that that Levi hears Jesus calling him. Now, Think about who else is following Jesus at this point. Back in chapter 1, John, James, Peter, and Andrew are all following Jesus. They were fishermen around the Sea of Galilee. It's likely that they knew Levi, the tax collector. And they're thinking, you know, we're all fishermen over here. We're following Jesus. Jesus has called us, and now they call this guy to join them. Now, We're not told in Scripture, so our sanctified imaginations can go to work in this. But how do you think that Peter Peter and Andrew, James and John, probably thought of a tax collector joining them? I mean, if he's like me, if they're like us, they're like, what? A tax collector? Being a part of us? 
this, this doesn't make any sense. This guy's taking our, we've had to pay taxes to this guy. Right? And, and seeing this, this does not make any sense. And yet, Jesus is this gracious shepherd who brings Levi in to be one of his followers. And in this, I can't help but to see how Jesus, as he's building his group of followers, how Jesus also builds his followers today. That Jesus unites us and calls us together as churches. And as we think about who God saves and who God puts in pews around us in church, we don't typically get a voice in that, do we? We don't decide who God saves and who God doesn't save. We don't have scanners on the outside of our doors saying only the acceptable can come into this church. Only those who are like us, only those who are Purdue fans, only those who have good taste, and only those of you... It took me a week to not say anything publicly about that, so... Anyway, I'm just going on. So, and you have to be like us, and you have to have an agriculture background. You have to serve a certain economic class. You have to be of a certain social status. You have to have all of these things true, and then you can be with us. But as we read in the Scriptures, as we see what God does, God doesn't do that at all. What does God do? God calls the unacceptable. He calls the unacceptable. He calls these people who are dirty and unclean, these people that make no sense. Why would he do this? And he does this because of his love, because he is the good shepherd. Well, Jesus calls Levi to himself. And then look what happens in verse 15. It says, as he reclined at a table in his house... So Jesus, it's interesting, he says to Levi, follow me, and it sounds like they end up going to Levi's house, okay, and he's hosting a reception or some type of party, and it says, he reclined at the table of his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. That Jesus isn't simply this wise teacher, this faithful teacher. He's not simply a gracious shepherd. We also see Jesus in this context as a courageous friend. Think about the reputation of those who are surrounding Jesus. Their reputation, they're, they're tax collectors and sinners. In the, there's a collection of Jewish oral, writing, oral tradition called the Mishnah. And it describes this group of people this way. It describes them as gamblers, moneylenders, people who race dove for sport, who do business on the Sabbath. They're thieves. They're those who are violent, and they're shepherds. Okay? This is the low-class people. And I think about that in our context today, that we recognize that, that, that Jesus, in calling Levi, this guy who's unacceptable, we also see that Jesus loves the outcast. He loves those who don't fit. He loves those who don't see themselves as worthy, who society doesn't see as worthy. He loves us. He loves people, not on the basis of their merit, not on the basis of what they've done, who they are, their status. He loves them on the basis of His love because of who He is. And as we think in our culture, the tax collectors and sinners of our day, Jesus still loves them. And we could think in our culture, who would the tax collectors and sinners be in our day? What about white supremacists, racists? Ugly, ugly sin. Horrible. 
sinners, tax collectors. We think about sexists, criminals, drug addicts, people who are lazy, living off the government, people who are dirty, people who are poor. We, we can look in our culture and we see who are the tax collectors and the sinners of our day. We can see people like that, these, these people, and we see them as, and we see all these people and, and say, who are the tax collectors and sinners that they are the people who are different than us? Until we realize they're just like us. Because in the eyes of God, it does not matter whether our sins and our uncleanliness is socially acceptable or not. That we are all in the same, we are all in the same need. That we all need a gracious shepherd. We all need a courageous friend. A courageous friend who will draw near to us and to be with us. And in Jesus, we have that kind of friend. Well, how did the people respond to this? It says this. It says in verse 14 or 16, And the scribes of the Pharisees, these were the ones who really knew the Old Testament law, they were the really religious people, when they saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, he says to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And in my, if I'm reading that and how I think their attitude was, is why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why people like that? Doesn't he know that that's going to make him unclean? Doesn't he know that that's going to affect his reputation? Doesn't he know that if he's hanging around with them, people are going to think bad things about him? Doesn't he know? What is he doing? This makes no sense. And it's interesting because they said to his disciples... Why does he do he didn't? They didn't ask Jesus. Right? They're asking his disciples. Okay? But when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And we see in this, this Jesus, who is a gracious shepherd, who is a, who is a courageous friend, we also see that Jesus is a spiritual physician. Jesus didn't come for healthy people. Jesus didn't come for people that have life all figured out. He did not come for the righteous. He came for sinners. He came for tax collectors. He came for adulterers. He came for liars and thieves. And He came for people just like us. That Jesus has come for us because we are sick and we are dead in our sin and we need help. We need hope. And it's interesting because Jesus is hanging out with these people and sometimes in our culture it's like, well, you know, I'm going to hang out with these sinners but because I want to be a witness to them. But people never witness to them. Listen, do you hear what Jesus is saying about these people? He's saying, they are sinners. They need a physician. Why is he with them? To help them to understand that they're sinners and to be the spiritual physician. And, and based on everything we've read about Jesus, how does a spiritual physician work? What is his primary instrument? It's teaching the Word of God. I would encourage you to hang out with sinners and tax collectors. As a fellow sinner and tax collector who has been healed, 
to be a physician, be a spiritual physician among them to help them to see and to open their eyes, not just to hang out with them because it's kind of cool to hang around with sinners, but because you love them and you want to reflect what Jesus has done, being a spiritual physician, calling them to repent and to believe. Listen, everyone needs this physician. Listen, we can understand this, that, that, that we may not be outcasts, that socially we can look at ourselves and we don't see ourselves as social outcasts. But a social outcast does not matter when we are unclean spiritually. Because in God's eyes, we're all social outcasts, spiritual outcasts. And we need a physician. And praise God that He's provided it. He's provided that physician for us. And so, in this, we see this. We see Jesus as a faithful teacher, a gracious shepherd, a courageous friend. He is a spiritual physician. He is all of these things because we need him. We need a teacher. We need a shepherd. We need a friend. We need a physician. Jesus is the I am of all of these. But, but it doesn't stop there. In verse 18, it continues. It says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees, these are the disciples of John the Baptist, and the Pharisees were fasting. And that was a part of their culture. The Pharisees fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. It was religious ritual that they participated in. John's disciples were likely fasting in response to the preaching of John in anticipation of all that the Messiah, all that Jesus would do, that they're fasting. But... They came and it says, And the people said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Okay, so they actually come to Jesus about this fasting, and they're asking him, Okay, so what's up? Because all these people that seem really religious and really serious about God and being God-centered and all that, they seem, all these people, they seem to fast. But your disciples over here aren't fasting. So if the people who take the things of God seriously fast, your disciples aren't fasting, what's up with that? Because you're supposed to be all about God and all about what he is saying. What's the difference? And in verse 19, Jesus says to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. As we see these Pharisees fasting and the disciples of John the Baptist uh, fasting, he's looking at them and Jesus is saying, listen, the time of anticipation, of maybe mourning and of looking forward to that, that time is over. Why? Because the groom has come. He uses the illustration of a wedding and in culture in that culture of the day that, that it, you know how today when we do weddings that everybody's sitting in the auditorium and waiting, there's music shows up and the groom shows up and his groomsmen, the bride comes down and the bridesmaids, uh, the bridesmaids all come down and there's that moment of anticipation, right? And then the organ or whatever, dun, 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 and the music changes and what happens? Everybody looks back, sees the bride and everybody stands, Right? Why? Because they're anticipating the wedding. They're anticipating this. This is similar imagery that Jesus is teaching, teaching that everybody's anticipating this Messiah. Everybody's anticipating him. And, and what we, Jesus is saying, I'm here. 
and I'm here. There's no more anticipation, no more waiting. The kingdom of God is at hand. The king is here. The groom has arrived. And so it's not time to fast anymore. It's time to celebrate. It is not time to fast. It is time to celebrate. And so we see this Jesus, the spiritual physician who heals the sick, we see him also as this promised groom. He is the one who's been waiting and waiting for. And because of that, Jesus in this, he changes his disciples. He's changing us from people who fast in anticipation to those who are celebrating because Jesus has come. Now, he says in here that the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. You see, we live in an already not yet time. We live in a time where the Messiah, the groom, has already come, but he's not yet fully here. Jesus has come, he's ministered, he's ascended to heaven, and he's with us now in spiritual sense, but one day he's returning physically to the earth. He's returning for us. And in that day, it's, it's, it's a celebration. We're talking marriage feasts. We're talking no more death, mourning, crying. To everything's behind us. Why? Because the groom is fully here. And Jesus is saying to them, the reason why they don't fast is because the groom's here, because all this hope is being realized. Jesus has come. And that's our hope. And he has come, and Jesus is doing new things. And then he continues in verse 21 and helping them to understand that we're in a new day and something new is going on and says in verse 21 no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment if he does the patch tears away from it the new from the old and the worst tear is made and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst and the skins and the wine will be destroyed as are the skins. But the new wine is for fresh wineskins. Now, you're reading that and if we're not paying close attention, we're like, what in the world is he talking about? New cloth, old garments and a patch and new patch and old clothes tearing away wine, old wineskins and new wine and being, what is that all about? Well, again, our picture is the groom has come, this time of anticipation. When Jesus shows up, it's a new day. And because it's a new day, it's time to do things differently. And so he's saying, if, if, if at the wedding feast you fast, that's a problem. You don't, you're not understanding what's going on because the, something new has come. What's been anticipation, anticipated is arrived. And he's saying, so this new cloth, so you have a brand new piece of cotton and you've got these old blue jeans that have a big hole in the knee. And what happens? You just sew that new piece of cotton over the top of it, but that, unpiece, that new piece of cotton has never been washed or dried. Okay? You... Wash it then, you sew it on there, throw it in the washing machine, throw it in the dryer, comes out. What's that knee look like now? It's all scrunched together because that's, it shrank and it pulled all this together. And if it's a really old piece of cloth, it just tears it up. It, it, you can't put these old new together. He also talks about old wineskins and new wine. Old wineskin, one that's been around for a long time. It's, it's dry, it's cracking, all that kind of stuff. And you could probably put some water into it and it's going to be fine but you put new wine into it. What does wine do when it ferments? It expands. 
And as it expands, if it's on an old wineskin, that old non-elastic wineskin bursts and you lose all the wine. And he is saying to them that a new day is here. It is time for things to be different now. That we see this in this big picture that Jesus is a new way. He is a new way. He's like a new piece of cloth. He is a new wineskin. And we need new things. We're going to be doing things differently now. And as a result of that, what we see in this is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that's been going on in the Old Testament. He is the substance of those Old Testament shadows. And he says because he has come and his kingdom is going to expand, you can't tie it to the old way of doing things. Jesus has come. Everything's new. And because He's new, we can't fit this new Christianity, this new thing that God's doing in this old way of doing things. And so Jesus is saying He has come to make all things new. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, Old Testament feasts and sacrifices and celebrations. He is the fullness of all of those. And it's time for things to be new. And Jesus is helping us to see in these different snapshots this morning, we are learning that Jesus is a teacher, he's a shepherd, he's a friend, he's a physician, he's a groom, and he is a new way. As we think about Jesus in all of these, I would ask you to, this morning is, what do you need this morning? Where's your heart? Where are your burdens? What are you carrying? What are you troubled with? What are you rejoicing in? You see, in all of these cases, Jesus is saying to us, I am. I'm I'm the I am. I am God. I am this wonderful mystery, God in the flesh, who's come to meet our needs, to meet our greatest needs of salvation but then to meet our ongoing needs. God, Listen, God gives us the gospel for eternal life and the gospel for everyday life. And we need Him. And we need that gospel for all of this. And so the question that this passage challenges us with is the whether we will turn from business as usual and just doing things our way or will we turn from our sin, our selfish desires, and to see that, there, that, that Jesus makes all things new. For some of you today that maybe it is time for you to trust Jesus as your Savior. That you've known this stuff, you've known a lot of this, but you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus. I would invite you today to embrace Him. You don't just add Him to your old life. He's coming to make your whole life new. And for those of us who are believers this morning, I want to encourage you to consider How are you seeing Jesus today? He's a savior and a physician. He's a teacher, a groom. He's a friend. He's what we need. Are you trusting him? Are you living in a manner consistent with the confession of the gospel that you profess? What's keeping you from this? We saw the beautiful picture of Levi this outcast, this unacceptable man, Jesus said, follow me, and he followed. And Jesus calls us today to follow him. Will you follow? I'm going to pray in just a moment, but 
Before I do, I want to point your attention to the bottom of your notes and maybe the backside, and it gives some thought to what, what do I need to do in response to this message? Listen, God doesn't simply want us to be hearers of the word, but to be doers and to apply what we hear. So as we receive our morning offering in just a moment, I encourage you to, to give thought to what will I do with what I've heard today? Well, for men, we'll come, we'll pray, and receive our morning offering. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent us a teacher, a shepherd, a friend, a physician, a groom, and a new way. And Lord, we need all of that. And Lord, all of that is in Jesus, fully God and fully man. A beautiful mystery. Come to help us and to give us hope. Lord, I pray this morning that you would stir our hearts to love Jesus. That, Lord, in response to this message, that we, were, we would be fueled with this deep and abiding and transformational appreciation for who you are and for all that you have done for us. Change our hearts. Change our minds. Change our lives. Change our loves. Lord, thank you for the gift of your grace and the gift of your Son. It is in his name we pray. Amen.